Audiogan is proud to partner with Unbox Cultural Futures Society and What Design Can Do. What Design Can Do is an international organization that seeks to accelerate the transition to a sustainable, fair and just society using the power of design. What Design Can Do is launching Make It Circular Challenge, a global design competition building a circular future in partnership with IKEA. This challenge invites designers and creative entrepreneurs from everywhere to submit design-driven climate innovations. The end goal? To show the world that circular future is not only imaginable, but actionable. Winning projects will be propelled into 2023 with a 10,000 euro in funding and a tailor-made development program. Submit your proposals online for free by 31st Jan 2023. Check out the design briefs and learn more about it on makeitcircular.whatdesigncando.com. Link in the show notes. And now, today's episode. This is Audio Gyan, and I am your host, Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Today, we have Pepin Zerberg with us on Audio Gyan. He's a designer and an art director. During his studies at Utrecht School of Arts in Sandberg Institute, Pepin met Richard Van Der Lenken. Together, they founded renowned visual design agency, Day Design Policy, Graphic Design Collective, Gorilla, and What Design Can Do, uh, about which we'll be talking in depth later. Uh, their work has won numerous awards and features in permanent collection of galleries at the Stedelijk Museum Amsterdam and MoMA New York. Working with partners and clients from KPN to Frescati Theatre and many more. Pepin is responsible for leadership and strategy, branding and visual communication for everything at What Design Can Do. A true all-rounder designer with strong hands-on approach. Welcome Pepin to AudioGAN. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Yes, well, uh, my pleasure entirely. Thank you for having me. Okay, awesome. So I've come up with a few questions and uh, broadly divided into two parts. One is generally understanding your philosophy of design. And the second portion is about what design can do, which is uh, a competition that is uh, uh, sort of in works. And uh, I have one last surprise question for you. Uh, just oh. because, <laughs> just because uh, I got to know you, you're like a hands-on designer. It's my personal curiosity to know what's what's hands-on. So I think I'll keep it in the last. But I typically start off with this question with most of my guests: is that what's your definition of design, and uh, how has it changed over time? Uh, because, yeah, yeah. I, uh... I'm not sure if I have a real philosophy on design. Um, I can I can tell you a bit about uh, my own experience. Um, mm. I think um, as a, as a graphic designer, you start uh, by being trained in school to be in charge of your own yeah stories, uh, contents, uh, ideas, uh, coming up with your own concepts, shaping them, etc. Basically, making your own assignments. Um, and then when you start working in the real world, you all of a sudden, uh, you quickly notice that you are in the service of clients. So you are translating, as it were, the story of, uh, uh, of the client, uh, I don't know, a campaign or uh, uh, a cover of a book, a poster, anything 
thing that they want to uh, convey to an audience and you are processing that, uh, designing it, uh, trying to make it as, as clear as possible. But you're not in charge of that, uh, of that narrative, of that story. It's always the story of somebody else that you're translating. And um, although that can be very exciting and can be very inspiring and you encounter all kinds of new uh, ideas and, and, and people, um, I think it's also pretty uh, important that at a certain moment you come back to this idea of, oh, I have my own story to tell uh, as a designer. I, it's important to be in charge of your own uh, narrative, as it were. And... Um, yeah, in a way, I think it's not for 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 every design uh, sort of. Um, uh, how do you say for every design, every type of designer? Because there are a lot of designers who just come up with products and they invent products, chairs, uh, vases, whatever, and they uh, uh, bring them to the market. But uh, yeah, as a graphic designer, you're mostly working for clients. And yeah, yeah, that so can be can be sort of challenging. And so this is exactly why after. I don't know, 10, 15 years, we started this uh, thing called What Design Can Do, where we could be in charge of our own, uh, yeah, our own content again. Mm -hmm. But then um, I've, I've little exposed to David Carson's work, and uh, he also have a, has a little sort of a graphic background, but it's quite abstract. Um, mm -hmm. So, so any thoughts on that, that can a graphic designer influence the narrative or just always take it forward? Is there a possibility for a, for a designer to sort of change the narrative to a certain extent just now, because? Of now, of course, there are a lot of graphic designers who are uh, fine examples of, of being uh, basically the creator of their own content. Uh, people who make self-published magazines, who make graphic art, who uh, initiate their own uh, projects. Um, and also there are many designers who have such a strong, uh, uh, like, let's say, graphic language, where really the graphic language becomes part of the narrative, especially in, in the early work of David Carson, that was the case. The stuff mm -hmm. that he did with Reagan, of course, took a whole... Uh, uh, opened up a whole new world. I, that was around the time when we uh, were in art school, so that was a big influence on us. The, the early, uh, uh, yeah, sort of completely radical, free-form graphic sort of anarchy that hmm. was uh, uh, very inspiring. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, having said that, also Reagan in the end, was just a magazine about pop, co pop culture. I'm sure he didn't write all of the articles himself. So, uh, again, yeah, although I think the, the graphic component was very strong in, in, the, in the whole uh, uh, experience of that magazine, mm -hmm. yeah, it was also yet another magazine. Yeah. So, so zooming out a bit from keeping yeah. obviously the design design uh, paradigm in in the same place, uh, has the definition of design changed uh, over time? Because I have this famous line which I keep using that when you don't know Zen, rivers are rivers, mountains are mountains. When you are learning Zen, rivers are not rivers, mountains are not mountains. And when you have learned Zen, rivers are reverse mountain the mountain. So it's kind of a cyclical pattern that you first get into 
uh, a sort of uh, hypothesis and then you challenge and question stuff, right? Has Have you seen that curve in your understanding of design as to, especially after starting what design can do, the confined or the limited worldview that what design can do has suddenly expanded and any any learnings or uh, anything that you want to share in, in terms of your definition? Yeah, I would say, of course, um, I started working in 1995 and over over that all that period of time uh, design has taken many shapes and forms um i think it's a bit difficult to say anything about it in really broad strokes because it's not true for all of the world and also not for all the disciplines but um yeah you could in broad strokes of course say that design uh, was originally uh, uh, the sort of a very functional act of processing materials and information, adding value to them uh, so that people can use it, that, that, that the life of people is um, becomes easier or better or more, more beautiful or simpler or whatever. Um, and then it started to be, become something, the design became its own uh, uh, objective so things need to be made beautiful to make our lives beautiful to make uh, to focus on the outside to focus on uh, uh, the shape of things on on the coating on uh, and then it became designed especially in the western world uh, became associated with luxury with uh, trivial stuff uh, stuff for rich people uh, stuff that is exclusive and um, and i think nowadays uh, I mean, especially also in art schools and, and every designer is trained in, okay, why? And basically in this philosophy of what design can do, what, how can you use design as a problem solving tool for the, for the big issues of today? So, uh, yeah, design in itself is not so, uh, 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 it's not a goal in itself, but it's, yeah, it's something to work uh, to on poverty, equality, on climate change, on all kinds of issues that, uh, yeah, that, that we need to repair. And maybe, and that's of course something that we have been uh, uh, pointing out here, what design can do, is it also something that we as designers have helped create. Things like uh, uh, waste, the enormous amounts of waste that, that the world produces, that's something that, that designers have had a big hand in so um, I think that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we see this curve. But I'm also sure that it will come back, that there will be a time where design will be much more about making beautiful stuff, making expensive clothes. Uh, but then again, I also realize it, sort of, it, um, uh, it exists next to each other. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, two, two, three years ago, I, I went... Um, to the Salone di Mobile in Italy. And then I spent a few days um, on, uh, yeah, looking at all kinds of young designers, work of young designers who did great things with recycled products. And I don't know, uh, the whole theme of circularity was already quite important. And, uh, and then there was also, uh, let's say, the official Salone, where it was just a showcase of, yeah, I don't know, golden chairs, marble <laughs> toilets, uh, <laughs> you know, anything you can imagine. 
mirror walls and wow. the really uh, expensive stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, you beautifully captured uh, the breadth and obviously the depth of like what what the canvas has been since uh, at least nineties. So um, you 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 pointed out that initially it was more of problem solving and getting stuff done, right? Uh, just basic stuff done, and in the end also recently it has been more problem solving. So what? Before we jump into that, what design can do? Like, what what is your take on uh, the long term or the short term view of of design, uh, at least in India and this part of the country, uh, this part of the continent? You you see that it's more for profitability. There are these apps design. There are these low cost, non durable stuff that is being designed. So like. What, according to you, is like a short-term and a long-term view when design has to intervene in stuff? Yeah, well, I, th- I thought about this question. I think it's maybe it's true for everything in life. Everything that is, uh, brings you satisfaction on the short-term will bite you in the ass in the long-term. <laughs> um, and it's the same with design. I mean, all those uh, uh, easily disposable throwaway products, yeah, they are very handy for a short period of time but uh, the problems are going to uh, uh, you're going to see the problems in the long run with all the all the waste and all the you know material depletion and, and yeah all those problems that this that this sort of wasting of fast recycle fast uh, sort of turnover of products uh, is, uh, is is producing mm-hmm. so yeah i mean all of the all of the short term decisions that we make are uh, yeah not good for us in the long term. For, for instance, the car the car has brought us so many good things, liberty. Uh, I mean, we could travel. Uh, this idea of freedom, but now the car is of course a really big problem <laughs> because the whole world is is uh, suffering from air pollution, and uh, uh, there are so many cars they take up so many space uh, literally but also in the, in in the in the industry in in society so yeah what good has it done for us in the long run whereas in on the short term it's a fantastic uh, product of course that will, that that will uh, sort of even even today if you do not own a car and then the next day you own a car yeah your life changes it opens mm-hmm. up a lot of possibilities uh, so, no, but, sorry, go ahead. No, no, so, so, so that's is a bit of the thing, and that is also part of the problem. I mean, I also understand that a lot of uh, uh, factories or, or uh, companies still use raw materials because it's so much easier. It's so much easier to use like virgin plastic and make something out of it than recycling old bottles and cleaning them and blah blah blah. And, um, it's just. Um, yeah, the 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 fast way is often also the cheap way, and and the simple way, and uh, it sort of offers a, a solution today or tomorrow. Yeah, but not in the long run, because mm. in the long run we will have huge problems that uh, we do not know how to deal with, or that, or we sort of we we push the real cost of this quick solution. Uh, yeah, to the future, to future generations. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah. then how do you sort of, uh, I don't know whether that's again in that part of the world, but in India, it has uh, being a developing nation, it has really helped a lot uh, when it comes to like just making these sachet type stuff, which is which is like you get get uh, a shampoo in less than a dollar uh, in like a small plastic thing uh, or yeah. oil or shampoo. Now, mm-hmm. because of that innovation uh, and generally making shorter forms of uh, FMCG really mm-hmm. help to reach to larger set of people. Uh, yeah. Now, how do we sort of reconcile this because it has done good on one side, but it has created a lot of plastic on the other side. So yeah. like, like maybe we can go into that uh, circular piece uh, from this segue, but just wanted to know your thoughts that then how do we make peace with this uh, uh, profitability versus uh, the long term view? Yeah, that's very, uh, in a way, you already said it, 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 that is really hard because these sort of things also bring a lot of uh, um, uh, sort of good things to people. I mean, if this particular uh, example that you ex- that you explained brings sort of makes this product much more accessible to larger groups of people that have been, uh, that was not, uh, <laughs> uh, how do you say this? Um, yeah, I mean, in the end, they will also drown in this mountain of plastic. Mm. So I think for designers, we have to look at, okay, in this particular product, uh, distributing small amounts of soap and shampoo, how can we do this in a, in a way that doesn't pollute, that we does, don't, do not burden the earth with a lot of pollution afterwards? Mm. Mm. And I think that is where uh, the... the uh, sort of the new designer comes in correct yeah and that's because you can't be we know because it's also impossible to move forward without sort of uh uh with depriving all the people who have not who do not have access to the kind of lifestyle that well people in the in, in uh, the northern part of the world have um and I say, okay, now enough is enough. We have polluted the whole world. We have created all these problems, and now everybody, everybody, yeah. So that cannot, yeah, that's not sustainable. It's also not sustainable. Yeah, so it's yeah, not we have to design better things and not silly little plastic bags. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a good point to uh, segue into the uh, circular challenge bit, and I wanted to understand like. To me, it seems like there will be certain principles which should guide these things, right? Uh, and in that context, like, can you can you share like what are the fundamental aspects of uh, circular design, which is also this year's theme? Yes. So I was saying like maybe this is a good point to sort of intervene into what what are the fundamental aspects of principles uh, that that you bring when you design of when you think of circular design uh, which is kind of this year's theme so mm-hmm. are there sort of building blocks certain principles which are non-negotiable to make things or like design processes and services which are circular in nature yeah well we uh, have recently launched this uh, make it circular challenge 
Uh, and there we say there are three fundamental aspects. So on the one hand, we need to design things that uh, will last longer. So don't design things that you that you use once and then throw away or that have a very short lifespan, but really look at the uh, um, yeah, all the, the the real costs of of the manufacturing of product or or a service and uh, yeah use it for the amount of time that it is uh, uh, designed for, um, which is very hard because I think if you uh, uh, do a calculation, I'm not sure if I get the numbers right. But if you do a calculation, for instance, for a mobile phone, you should use it for 250 years. Which is impossible because yeah, most people just switch phones every two years or even less. Um, but in the long run, that's not sustainable because then we sort of, yeah, we're only taking and and mm. and, and creating a, a a huge mountain of uh, waste. So we need to design things that last longer, um, and. Um, so yeah, so that have a, a a real lifespan according to the to the value that has been put into it. Mm. Um, okay. And then of course you can think within that uh, design to less on all kinds of strategies that you have to be able to update things, you have to be able to repair things, you have to be able to add things, or they have to be modular, or they have to be just built stronger. Uh, they. And you also have to think about, uh, yeah, where's the, the business model in all of that? Because, yeah, I think a lot of businesses are run on the fact that people buy stuff again mm. and again and again. So, yeah, what would the world, how, how would uh, the world of mobile phones look if everybody just bought one phone and then had one phone for the rest of their lives? <laughs> it would be a yeah. completely different business model. So that is that is one pillar, and the other one is that we have to uh, work with and sort of in sync with nature. So in the end, there is of course this idea that we only have one planet, so we have to live and work and produce within the boundaries of uh, yeah what nature gives us. And I think we have to also. It also goes back to looking back to. Um, uh, yeah, to the people who were before us, they were much more in sync with nature. Nature designed a lot of things for us. Nature has processes, uh, things, uh, processes to repair, processes to produce, process, processes to grow things. Um, yeah, let's look back to that and see if there are uh, simpler solutions to things that we now, uh, yeah, have become accustomed to uh, produce in a sort of uh, uh, I say uh, in a different way, in a man-made mm -hmm. way. Um, yeah, and then of course, really coming back to the circularity, only use what exists. So use waste as a basic material, recycle, um, reuse, repair stuff, and uh, best of all, uh, make stuff that that is even sort of regenerative, so that that is has a capacity of repairing some of the damage that we have done. So these are the, the three things that we think are important to take into consideration if you think about uh, uh, yeah, designing, producing, and working towards this circular way of living, lifestyle, economy. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. In fact, uh, I will 
the rest of the conversation i'm just going to double click on these three uh, but before that <laughs> but before that uh, just you and richard uh, started what design can do you c- if you can also give us like little bit of context of what is the competition about uh, any particular moment or a project or or something which you witnessed first and was a trigger point to think about it uh, some really i don't know uh, what was the back story behind it and also a little bit of landscape or a panoramic view uh, of you started off with refugee challenge uh, and i think 6 years later you mm. now have like make it circular challenge just like a landscape of of stuff that has happened so far and then we'll we'll move on with these three fundamental aspects that you mentioned about right yeah well we uh, actually what design can do started not as a design competition but we started out by organizing uh, uh, events design conferences or festivals so in uh, around 2011 we um, thought of making a uh, a sort of yeah we call it a conference a sort of a, a festival for designers where we would uh, in Amsterdam where we would bring uh, like inspiring designers from all over the world to a mostly dutch audience to talk about this idea of what design can do uh, at the time i think it was not such um uh, how do you say a trending topic to um uh, to think about design in those terms but but we wanted to show the design community yeah how to uh, how they could put their uh, skills knowledge energy access to media um to work towards um yeah big societal goals climate change social issues uh, freedom of speech gender equality all those topics um so we uh, so we did a conference that was uh we thought a, a pretty it was a lot of fun a huge success and we organized it again the year after and the year after and then um uh, uh some people from brazil reached out to us and said oh mm-hmm. this is so great of course we already were building on this international network because of all of the people that we invited um then we organized uh we started organizing events in brazil so we did that for a couple of years and then the same thing happened in mexico and meanwhile in 2017 i guess we thought okay uh, we are bringing all of this inspiration to the stage we're trying to inspire the, uh, the design community with all of these wonderful stories maybe we should also um yeah i say get our hands dirty and start working on some of these issues ourselves and um then we got into contact with the, the IKEA foundation and they and together we came up with this idea in 2015 there was a huge refugee crisis in uh, in Europe i mean there had always been a refugee crisis but then uh, it spiked a lot of uh, people came in wanted to cross the the borders into the eu and uh, also there were a lot of disasters with uh, uh, people drowning uh, while crossing the mediterranean um and also uh, uh in let's say Holland Germany and and, and France and uh, and the UK there was a crisis with where do we uh, how do we where do we house all these people what are they going to do here there was a huge influx of refugees so we thought maybe we can come up with a competition or some we need some fresh ideas 
basically on this issue because the government was not responding in the right way we thought um, so we um, set up this challenge the design challenge we called it the refugee uh, and the refugee challenge um, yeah. and basically the idea was what how can we improve the lives of the people to, who have made the whole journey who are here in the western cities in the western European cities and um, who are uh, in sort of these uh, processes of uh, getting a visa and sometimes that would take two years, two and a half years, endless. They had to wait forever. And in the meantime, they are not allowed to work. They're not allowed to um, uh, to settle somewhere. They, they were living in these sort of camps. Um, yeah, so how can we improve the lives of those people? Not really a question that is put to designers uh, mm. on a daily basis. So, um, but the response was, yeah, for us, overwhelming. And uh, there were so many designers who, who got to working, who um, came up with them with wonderful ideas that you have could, could have never thought of. And mm. um, meanwhile, we also developed this whole uh, process of how to organize a challenge from uh, recruits, from uh, uh, getting people to submit ideas to the selection procedure. Um, uh, sele uh, selecting the, the right ideas and also trying to yeah, sort of broadcast these ideas through the world and also trying to help the people to get them implemented. Although that last bit, we didn't really plan for it, so it was a bit um, uh, difficult. So uh, one or two years later, we started uh, also with IKEA Foundation on doing the same thing, but then on the topic of climate change. Mm. So we uh, uh, took a better look at our whole process and we also thought, okay, if we, we cannot stop at just picking out the best ideas that come out of this competition, we also need to yeah, give those ideas a push towards development, towards yeah, making any sort of real impact, because otherwise you're just sort of yeah, generating a lot of funny ideas and then yeah moving on to the next one yeah. so um, then we really uh, designed a process which was about mobilization worldwide mobilization of designers to come up with ideas then selecting the best ones and then uh, trying to uh, develop them or accelerate them in a certain way so that they could be that they could go out into the world uh, yeah and and have a real impact on on the issues at hand. And so now it's uh, uh, 2022, and we are uh, five five or six challenges uh, further. We have done these global challenges on uh, uh, yeah, so on climate action, on clean energy, on waste, and, uh, and on mm. circularity. Amazing, amazing! It's very very uh, inspirational, and uh, I think uh, initiatives like these. Uh, are are powerful forces to change the narrative of what design can actually do. Uh, yeah. In the earlier part, when you, where you mentioned that these days it's about problem solving and and helping businesses grow. Uh, I think, yeah, we are now sharing more responsibility, and I think it's it's empowering and yet very 
we have to be like very aware of the kind of stuff that we are engaging with yeah uh, awesome yeah uh, so okay circling back to uh, the three aspects right um, you mentioned about the first aspect being it should last right uh, last yeah, longer yeah. Uh, and i interviewed uh, where i was got to know this word continuum uh, i interviewed a professor uh, from one of india's design school called navin bagalkot uh, and he said design is a continuum right uh, where it's a process that you keep sort of it's a, it's a process rather than like an output like i have not designed but i am designing mm-hmm. uh, so in in that framework or if you if you think from that lens and again we have this model of like you prototype then you ship out and then you sort of measure and test and then come back to the drawing board sometimes reject stuff so in this process how do you see making things last longer because like when do you stop designing that yes this is it right it is now well rounded enough to last long how do you measure how do you test or how do you sort of make it happen if it's making sense <laughs> um yeah in a way it's always um, that's of course uh also up to the designer where where he or she uh, uh stops in in a way because yeah mm. especially nowadays design is sort of used for everything there's everything like social design and then it sort mm. of becomes becomes everything um but i think these these three these three aspects also have to do with are not only for the designer but also for the like for the end user for the consumer they also have to behave a bit more responsible but for the designer yeah where do you stop it's it's hard we have to we try to make people more aware of um, uh yeah their responsibility i mean a lot of a lot of designers just take uh, uh products and don't think about uh, uh where those products come from or the, the materials for the products come from or uh, where it's manufactured uh, factored or how it's shipped or but you can of course if you really think about it especially if you into uh things like consumer products or building yeah you can really you can start by uh, where where do my raw materials come from under what conditions are they uh, uh, taken out of the ground uh, are the people paid well is you can sort of dive into the whole chain of uh uh yeah going from from the mine to uh, the stuff that is in the store mm. i mean we have um uh, uh, there's a project called fairphone it's from uh, a dutch designer and um it started with the the his frustration of um i think it was not even about phone in the first place but about okay my phone is broken why cannot why can i not repair it why can i not order spare parts and just uh, replace them because uh, i don't know my camera is broken but the rest is working fine why can i not just put a new camera in and then my my phone is because at the moment you open the phone uh your uh, uh what do you say the, the insurance yeah, now the warranty the warranty out of warranty, warranty. Yeah. yeah out of warranty so he he decided to make a modular phone 
which can be updated. Uh, uh, components can be replaced, can be repaired. You can even sort of update it with better components, etc. But then he also started thinking, oh, where do where do these components actually come from? Where does the material come from? Uh, of course, uh, cell phones are uh, uh, notorious for being made out of all kinds of very rare uh, materials uh, uh, that mm -hmm. come from uh, uh, places in Africa and I'm sure India and China where they're taken out of the ground under very bad circumstances with a lot of costs for the environment and for the people who have to work there. So he started to look back in, on, the, on the whole chain of what, yeah, how is this product made? And of course, it's very hard these days to control that whole chain. But yeah, as a really responsible designer, you can do the best you can. And then he also yeah. thought about, okay, then there is the reality of people uh, wanting to have a new product in their pocket every now and then. So then they start, they set up this whole system for taking in phones and taking raw materials out of those phones. So in a way, yeah, you can go on forever. That way design can be a, a continuum where, uh, yeah, you should never stop. But I think it's not, mm -hmm. not the case for, for most designers. I think it's, it's still very much working towards an end product and moving on to the next product. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. yeah, I know, especially if you make real, real products like stuff, you know, uh, cups or cars or whatever. Mm -hmm. Very depressing to think that eventually it will all end up in a landfill. So you're designing stuff for the landfill. And if you realize that, then you really have to think, okay, I better do something about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but do you, like, I'm just asking something on the fly. Yeah, is yeah, sure. this a little, is this little a leftist view in the design? Uh, in a sense, uh, I was reading this book called Ruined by Design by Mike Monterio. And uh, even he sort of points out to a lot of stuff which we as designers are responsible, but perhaps designing in a bit of ignorance. I mean, he gives a classic example that a young graphic designer or a young UI designer is, is playing with or is trying to figure out how to make filters for a website, but unknowingly designing it for a weapons website. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of scary. Now, yes, uh, he or she has to pay bills, but at least being aware that what you're doing uh, is going to change. Like, I mean, you'll land up changing a job or or moving on in different verticals within design. Yeah. So, yeah, the question is like, is there sort of a leftist view? Uh, you know what I mean, right? Like a slightly revolutionary view uh, in design or... It's it's it has to be the mainstream view. I'm not sure about left or right or or mainstream. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, most of the things that that have to change and that cost money are considered. <laughs> if you make a mm -hmm. social change and it will cost money, then it's probably considered left wing. But um, no, I think it's yeah, I think it's a responsibility for all. But I, I do want to stress we as designers should not be naive that we are uh, 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 that we can do this alone 
designers have mm. to work in a in a sort of an ecosystem of uh, clients, of uh, 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 manufacturers, of uh, I don't know consumer markets, of policy makers, etc. Um, and so, design is not going to save the world, at least not by itself. But um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think I think everybody has a responsibility. I mean, I was. I was. We were trained as designers, so we are in the design profession. So we think, okay, let's yeah. do. Uh, try to do the best we can uh, to do a good thing. But yeah, if you're a farmer, or if you're uh, a banker, or if you're, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, the director the of, uh, yeah, everybody has that responsibility to uh, to to see what is wrong in his or her area field of expertise and, and try to make it better yeah, yeah. because uh, yeah designers cannot cannot do it by themselves but i do think designers are in a way uh, yeah they're everywhere and that's that's always yeah. where we when we do a pitch or so it's always start with that i mean why don't we start with design why don't we start with asking designers because look around everything is designed Every little thing that you see around you is designed. You have to travel very far uh, away from uh, from from uh, from the, the I don't know the inhabited world to come across mm -hmm. something that is still only nature. Um, so yeah, uh, designers have yeah. had their hands in in everything. So it would be good to include them in the conversation from an early stage. And that's, of course, the other part that uh, comes also from some sort of personal frustration that more than often designers are the last ones to consult uh, mm -hmm. after all of the, uh, the major decisions already have been made. And then uh, let's bring in, the, in, in a designer to, uh, to make it look nice. <laughs> or to give it's the same story. Yeah, right? Yeah, I guess it's the same story across the globe now. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, uh, I remember two two small uh, bits uh, before we move on to the next question. Uh, that uh, one of the best looking and best functional products uh, India has produced in the digital space. It's called Clear Trip, uh, and the founder uh, is a designer. Uh, it's a it's an online ticketing platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I interviewed him and I said, like, what what, what does a designer need to know in the digital product uh, domain? Mm -hmm. And he put it very beautifully that he said, a sculptor knows the medium, right? Knows the marble or knows what whatever medium yeah. he's playing with. Uh, similarly, an architect would or should know at least where the concrete is coming from or where the bricks are sourced from and so on and so forth. In similar aspect, in a digital world, a designer should know how to write code. Uh, obviously, design, which is your pure yeah. aesthetic yeah. part and, and friendly part of it. And third is also to write copy uh, because that's where your communication power comes in. Yeah. So all sure. three things uh, which go under the hood uh, also surface up, but it's, it's yeah. like a strong building block of becoming a good designer. So I remember that because you mentioned about designers to know the supply chain of things and that that brings me to the second point was that i saw this documentary i think it, it was on apple and um, i remember the last scene where 
it shows an iPhone and it says that now that you know all about Apple and how this supply yeah, and yeah. logistics chain work and the kind of pollution and everything, uh, just look at the screen very carefully before you're turning it on because once it's on, it's the most beautiful thing. Uh, so, so <laughs> that that frame, that frame, uh, it's it's so nicely crafted that first of all, you are watching on a laptop or your screen, so you see yourself in that screen, and within that screen, there's an iPhone which is also shiny. Yeah. So you almost see three layers of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and once once it turns on, your face disappears. It's very nicely sort of shot. Cool. Um, so Pepin, I wanted to. Uh, like club the last, uh, the two aspects in one question, which is sort of the second yeah. last question for this conversation is that you mentioned about design with nature. And even I had given a very small flash talk many years ago, which was uh, called design by default. And I had taken a, uh, taken a small uh, sort of case study of Indian Thali, which is kind of a, three course or a two course meal, which we have in one shot. And there are certain yep. things which are placed in certain order. Uh, and that's how I had the narrative of that. These could be rituals or cultural practices, but these are designed. These are not coming from like, like just because I felt keeping something, the, the, the desserts has to be in the end or appetizers. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. are like sort of designed in a way. And the question is mainly then we as human species generally rewire stuff uh, mainly for certain incentives. And then there are a lot of trade-offs. So how do you sort of look at trade-offs? Um, any example that comes to mind, which is quite important. Sorry, uh, when, when I say trade Yeah, sorry. sorry. Yeah, what do you mean with trade-offs? Trade-offs is like... For example, we, we need to go faster. As you gave the example of cars, we, we designed and we mm. manufactured stuff. Now we are yeah. ending up with air pollution and other sort yeah. of things. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and until you launch it or until you sort of build a proof of concept, it's quite tough to envision 20, 30 years out what's going to happen mm. with it. Because anything yeah. excessive is going to create something. Uh, so there will be trade-offs. So uh, maybe in the circular challenge evaluation criteria or general as a, as a designer, your practice, how do you look at trade-offs? Uh, where is it good to stop? Where is it good to extend it? Where? What is the threshold yeah. of trade-offs? <laughs> yeah, this of course is in way, in way hard, <laughs> hard to answer because it also, it, it has to do with also with the, the where does the responsibility of the designer end and where does the responsibility of let's say the the people start or the consumer or the, I don't know I don't really like the word consumer you know um, by making better design uh, designing things that make people's lives easier you're also losing something I mean if the supermarkets are full of uh, like uh, convenient uh, uh, meals, you just buy a package which is a complete meal. Yeah, people losing are losing the ability to to prepare a good meal themselves. So yeah, is that progress mm. or is that uh, uh, 
what are we throwing away by also offering people yeah a better or a, a choice that they like or that they uh, uh, that, that that will help their lives in in the short term we're coming back to the short long term uh, uh, discussion so yeah I don't know people used to make their own clothes now nobody does that anymore um, mm. yeah it also freed up a lot of time. <laughs> I guess mm. Mm. you could say that uh, so much time was spent um, by our grandparents on making stuff themselves. Yeah, I don't know what is it cost. I'm, mm. I'm not sure if it's only the responsibility of the designer. Um, mm, got it. Uh, I, I think it's also people, yeah, wanting to have a more easy life, convenience, uh, better faster so they have more time to uh, yeah do other stuff i don't know buy more products <laughs> yeah very interesting i think what what i'm sensing is it's tough to take a particular stand here it is it is it has to be a little organic because what comes to my mind is that yes we have smartphones to remember like to store numbers while i i remember yeah. back then about 10 years ago, I used to remember at least four to five yeah, telephone numbers of, of friends. And now I, I barely remember mine, which is kind of so good in a way. But yeah, I think maybe it's, it's yeah, you just have to find the right balance, I think. Yeah, but it is uh, it's also something that is for from, uh, let's say, forever. I mean, there used to be <clears throat> societies where they thought writing was a uh, work of the devil. Because it will make you stupid, yeah. To mm. learn things from, yeah, uh, be able to recite large pieces of storytelling or, or context or sermons by heart, uh, and not write them down. Because yeah, if you write them down, you, you forget them. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. When you move forward, something else is lost. But I think, I do think that we need to look back to some of those things and really, yeah, sort of recapture them and, and, and revalue them to see, okay, what, what can we do without? What is really helping, uh, helping us improve our lives and what is uh, yeah, just a loss? Yeah, so do you, can you recollect a quick, any case study or any particular... Uh, applicant in the last five, four, five years of of what design can do competition, where you distinctly remember any solution or a proposed solution which was good enough, just as like the kind of just to get a flavor of what kind of entries. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I, yeah, I think I, I have two. One is um, uh, one is from Africa, from Kenya. It's a uh, project called Nyungu Africa. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's and I like it because it works on all kinds of levels. Uh, uh, for starter, it, it it deals with the situation that a lot of, especially women, uh, oh no, women in in Africa do not have ha access to sanitary products. Um, so uh, uh, that it, that is a problem in itself. Um, so there is a group of uh, female entrepreneurs, which is also. Uh, uh, in itself already a good thing um, that have come up with this product, which is uh, completely 
uh, made from organic waste is completely uh, biodegradable and which is available in uh, because it can be produced uh, uh, from local resources it is available in even the remotest parts of the country so there is this thing okay it's a female uh, empowerment project it's um, uh, making a product that is that was not accessible to to many women uh, available and it's and it's a completely circular non-toxic non-plastic alternative for uh, existing mm. products so um, yeah I like it because it works on all these uh, 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 on all these these levels and mm. Um, mm. And the, the the thing is made from a really simple uh, material, which is abundant. Like, for instance, the uh, the leaves of the, uh, uh, the pineapple, which are discarded wow. after harvesting the pineapple. Um, yeah, that, that was a good product. Another another product that we really like is uh, because we're also always talking about uh, of living with nature. This is about dying with nature. It's a Dutch. Uh, a company called Loop. They have come up with this project. They call uh, the Living Coffin. It's a, it's like a, a coffin to where you, <laughs> where you bury people in, um, mm. and it's made from mycelium, so uh, fungi. And um, mm, okay. so they, so they cast this uh, this coffin, and it takes about seven days to for the mycelium to grow in the shape of a coffin. And then uh, once you're buried in it, um, it will sort of decompose your body within six weeks. Um, wow. Because uh, all those graveyards um, are actually sort of toxic dump sites. They, if you sample the ground there, there are so many toxins uh, stored there because the human body collects all the toxins, all the, all the materials that you uh collect over your lifetime you can't process that just stored somewhere so in your mm. body there's actually a lot of heavy metals uh, and all kinds of other toxins um, and when you just yeah put into a wooden casket only not only does the disintegration take much longer but also yeah all the toxins are just released into the uh, soil and the mycelium helps to clean all of that up and really wow. so that after life yeah you really Go back to nature. You're you're not only sort of uh, decomposed, but you actually become part of nature. Uh, you are trans transformed back into uh, stuff that nature can use. So it's really uh, yeah, in a way, <laughs> regenerative design by dying. Um, yeah. So I think that's that's a, that's a very good uh, uh, project as well. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I remember one episode, uh, I think, from 99% Invisible, the other podcast, and mm -hmm. uh, it was about, I'm based in Singapore right now, and uh, it was about Singapore where they had to change the last rituals uh, because there's no space to bury people. So they started cremating and like yeah, uh, putting them on fire. Uh, yeah. So technically just changing the last rituals of a religion itself because of these constraints of land. I just yeah. remember. Yeah, but also also uh, cremation is very 
that uh, a lot of pollution comes from cremation because it releases mm. a lot of CO2 and also the toxins. You're, you're basically burning a lot of toxins. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very happy Ooh, because uh, also because of this product is really making some progress. They are now, uh, they, yeah, they are now also in the collection of uh, uh, a few uh, big, uh, yeah, I don't know, few, uh, funeral insurance companies. So, whenever a relative dies, uh, you can actually pick one of their uh, organic coffins. Uh, oh wow! So okay. uh, yeah, I think there's really a momentum for this uh, project. Yeah. And by the way, also for the for the uh, for the other example that I mentioned, I mean these uh, these women are really making some steps. I, I think one of them was uh, a couple of months ago was named female entrepreneur, African female entrepreneur of the year. She won a big award. Mm. So uh, yeah, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Uh, I think uh, I'll conclude with one the last surprise questions, uh, which was, uh, yes. Um, and this is like nothing to do with the previous conversation we had. Just wanted to pick your brain on sort of what are the advantages or sort of disadvantages of becoming or being a hands-on designer? Uh, because, yeah, in, in typical career ladders, as you grow, you become manager uh, or whatever like different sort of engagements you do uh, at least in this part of the world uh, and uh, I was just like digging up you and and got to know that there are a lot yes. of designers still completely hands-on uh, mm-hmm. so any any advantages and disadvantages you have seen sort of being an individual contributor all throughout your career I'm sure Dieter Rams and other people were still playing with aluminium and other stuff but uh, yeah, thoughts? Yeah, well, there are a couple of aspects. First of all, you have to know your stuff. And and that, uh, like you said before, you have to really know uh, the material that you're working with. You have to know the the audience you have to know. So, you, And I think the best way of knowing that and also keeping your knowledge up to date is actually doing it, experimenting, uh, coming up with new answers for new problems, new new questions to I mean, oh, oh dear, the internet, oh dear, I have to make a website, oh dear, I have to make a book. Yeah, I was never trained for it, but yeah, I don't know, I'll, I'll probably can manage, I will we'll figure it out. Um, so that is very important, because if you're only a manager, then the world becomes very abstract, I think. Uh, mm. And the other thing, and that's also for me a very personal thing, there is sort of a gratification in, uh, in uh, uh, sort of being able to make stuff, to make stuff, uh, just do it yourself, uh, being able to produce something that you can look back on and say, hey, wow, I contributed this to the world. This is my uh, little piece of I don't know, whatever that I made. I mean, probably for some people, it can only be, uh, also the gratification can be preparing a nice dish or repairing your your bicycle or or whatever. But um, I think, yeah, for me, it's it's very important to every now and then, yeah, to make something. And and that's always the best feeling. There there was nothing and now there is something. Something, beautiful. 
Cool. On that note, I think we'll conclude this. Uh, thanks a lot, Pippin, for giving your time. It was really uh, some yeah, thank gems you. Uh, hidden in the conversation and a lot of food for thought, a lot of stuff to ponder upon and, and all the best for the circular challenge and all the links are in the show notes. And yes. once again, thanks a lot. And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more Gyan, visit audiogan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at audiogan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.